Welcome to Weather Hype, a podcast for casual weather conversation. I'm Min Fon. And I'm Castle Williams. On this week's episode, we'll be breaking it up into two different parts. Part one provides information about the extensive lead time and an advance warning given to people in the Midwest prior to the onset of severe weather during the last week of April. Then we'll discuss about the actual definition of the word outbreak and how people perceive the term and then discuss whether a longer lead time is always the best option in handling a severe weather situation. This part was recorded prior to the quote-unquote outbreak. And on part two, we're going to go into the specifics of the outbreak and figure out was it actually a forecast bus. Then we will talk about what a particularly dangerous situation is for uh, a tornado watch, as well as look and see if this was a communication wake-up call for the weather enterprise. And then finally, we will give you a little update on the word outbreak and see what people actually thought it meant. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take your February and turn it into spring I when I get gone, I get gone hey. And I don't need anyone to know better Hey, Castle, what's going on? Nothing much. What are you up to? I just had a container of Activia yogurt, and I'm hoping that it doesn't do anything bad to me. A container? Like a whole <laughs> container? Or like one of the small ones? Well, like this the small. I don't know what to call it. A cup. I had a cup of Activia yogurt. How about that? Do you specifically use Activia for a reason, or is it just your go-to brand? <laughs> Well, I've never actually had Activia before, and it was the only yogurt laying out oh, okay. in my fridge. I'm actually back at home for a couple of weeks with my family, and so I guess my mom and dad really need um, some digestive work. So they, <laughs> yeah. so they had some Activia in the fridge. I mean, it's not really anything bad. It helps to regulate your system, I think. Um, but uh, that's all they had. It was good. It was strawberry and cereal flavor. Which I guess it has like cereal mm-hmm. pieces in it. Not like actual Cheerios, but uh. like fiber and oats and stuff like that. Um, what did you eat? <laughs> Is that a good segue I, into your social What life? did I eat? Yes. Um, well, I don't, I'm not like a big lunch person. So I just had two packs of crackers and yogurt as well. What kind of yogurt bread did you have? I was afraid you were going to ask me that. Um, I don't know. They have the red cap on them. Yo play, right? Yeah, I think so. I feel like we just connect on the strawberry yeah, yogurt. I love level. strawberry. It's so good. I know, I know. It is. But mine <sighs> had little strawberry pieces in it, not graham cracker or whatever. Oh, graham cr- I did not say graham cracker. <laughs> okay, oats. Sorry. Where'd you get graham crackers from? <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds good. Strawberries and graham crackers. So speaking of incorrectly interpreting what I was saying about oats and cereal and graham crackers, uh the outbreak, or quote-unquote the outbreak that happened during the um, last week of April in the Midwest, that was a lot of, uh, brought a lot of interesting concerns to uh, to light, right? Yeah, it did, and it's it's interesting that we, we actually recorded the previous podcast, the number three, the April Smorgasbord, and we talked about this topic at the very end of it, and once we saw what happened after the outbreak, we thought it'd be really cool to have a before and after podcast to talk about what we were thinking, what people were talking about before the outbreak happened, and then coming back and revisiting to what actually happened. So yeah, here it goes. 
So the question of this whole outbreak, we've been hearing a lot about it, right? So today, the day that we're recording this podcast, you'll listen to it a little bit later than today, obviously, but today is April 25th again. And the severe weather outbreak is really going to be happening tomorrow and Wednesday, April 26th and April 27th. People have been hearing about this tornado outbreak or potential outbreak for at least a week now, right? They've been right. hearing about it either through social media or through uh, weather models that have been posted online. People have been hearing that there is a potential for tornadoes to hit and it's supposed to be quote unquote quite bad <laughs> on Tuesday and Wednesday. And so that brings up the point, how much of a lead time is too much or how much of a lead time is too little? How early should you tell people that there is a severe weather threat? And what kind of repercussions do you have in terms of getting people to act and behave in a way that is conducive to being safe? No, and I think this is such a great question. It's There's probably not a right answer to it, but um, it's funny that this is coming up because it's some of the work that I'm doing right now. I've talked about this on other podcasts is warning fatigue and how many times can someone hear a message before it just doesn't phase them anymore? And so this is a perfect application to that research is lead time, too much or too little. So uh, there's not a good answer right now. I don't think anyone has actually looked at a long scale understanding of how getting this information every day for seven days, how does that affect someone's willingness to change their behavior or be more prepared. Um, so I think that is something that needs to be investigated a little more. Yeah, because when you're talking about a tornado warning, you're telling people that, again, a tornado is either sighted or spotted on a Doppler radar or indicated by a signature on a Doppler radar. That's a much more imminent uh, short-term event where you're telling them, okay, take shelter, as opposed to a week ago, they were saying, okay, guys, in Kansas and Oklahoma, you have a threat for tornadoes next week. This is not telling you to take shelter or to go to your basement. This is just telling you, heads up, there's a potential for some strong thunderstorms that could be tornadic in nature. We want to let you know, and we'll give you more information as we get closer to the event. I think of that being a good thing. Because you're you're just giving them a heads up and you're pretty casual about it. So giving them seven days or eight days in advance. And if you're very casual about it and say like, hey, we're monitoring the situation. There could be some bad weather next week. We'll, we'll keep you uh, posted and stay tuned. I think that could be good. If you're really dramatic about the way you communicate that information, saying stuff like there will be tornadoes next week, we will have a lot of damaging weather. And, you know, people will be like, wow, you're being really dramatic about this. You're blowing it out of proportion and you're hyping. You're hyping the potential for severe weather for whatever purpose it is, whether it's for ratings on TV or to get more clicks to your website. Um, I think the way you say it and the way you communicate that information is imperative to how people receive it. Because if you're going to talk about it a week in advance, then you definitely don't need to have the level of urgency that you're going to have a day in advance. You know what I mean? What you're saying is totally true, but it's also important to think about the negative effects of receiving this message day after day after day after day. And so some of the stuff that we've been looking at is we've been looking at the fields of advertising, and they have a lot of interesting studies on how many times someone sees a message before it just doesn't phase them anymore. And so there is an actual, well, in advertising, there is a peak at around 13 times before their willingness to buy a certain product. So it's interesting to see the connections to weather and 
while it is good that they are repeatedly seeing this message and are getting informed, I think we should also look to other disciplines to see if there are negative effects and if they are, what can we expect and how can we maybe tweak the message a little bit so that they're not seeing the same message every time. And so they may have to look a little closer this time to see what's changed or what's different. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about with the tornado outbreak possibility is the term outbreak and how the National Weather Service Norman office asked their Facebook friends or people that follow them what they thought the term outbreak means. And you know, I absolutely love weather linguistics. So this post immediately caught my attention. And so I'm interested in what you think the term outbreak means. Okay. See, I... <laughs> it's kind of like what we talked about in an earlier episode of the probability of precipitation. The exact definition or exact definitions of it, but the ideas and perceptions of what it actually means is always different. Because for me, when I think of outbreak, I think of there being a certain number of tornadoes that have to occur or a certain number of severe weather events that have to occur for it to be considered an outbreak. So for me, I would say that, you know, 20 or 25 tornadoes would be an outbreak or um, there could be like 50 storm reports to be a severe weather outbreak. Um, something like that. And it had to be over a um, certain area, too, okay. like a certain area of, of the country, um, certain surface area. So square miles or square kilometers. So frequency and spatial? Yeah, I think so. That's my interpretation okay. of what outbreak would be. Okay. Interesting. So I guess when I think of outbreak, I think of more... See, it's it's I'm kind of biased since you said your definition. I was like, oh, yeah. But I think of more widespread than an increase in numbers. Even though I know it means there are a lot of tornadoes on the ground, I just think of it being, when I think of outbreak, I go immediately to disease outbreak. And that's more of like, yes, there are more cases, but it's also, it's getting spread around. So yeah. I guess that's what my, my mind jumps to, it, it expanding to a larger area. I'm reading an article from the um, Storm Prediction Center, Tornado Outbreak Days, and it kind of defines what it means. And oh, okay. some of the authors are um, Ruthel Schneider, Joseph Schaefer, and Harold Brooks okay. uh, from Norman. And they use a definition from a paper, Galway 1977, to define initially an outbreak as being at least six to ten tornadoes as the initial threshold for considering something an outbreak. Okay. So then I guess technically... So it's just frequency? Based on what I'm reading, skimming so far, it seems like that might be the only uh, indication of whether it's an outbreak or not. Six to ten tornadoes, I didn't... I guess I've... I guess it's not really that much. So they even have like a uh, categories of outbreaks as well. That's interesting. To further complicate things in the meteorology world, we now have categories for outbreaks for tornadoes. So you, a Cat 1 outbreak <laughs> would be would be 2 to 5 F2 to F5 tornadoes. <laughs> so this was before the EF scale? I think so, yeah. This was published in uh, 2003, I think. But all you have to know is pretty much an outbreak, according to them, is 6 to 10 tornadoes. So I'm looking at some of the uh, Facebook followers and some of the Facebook friends of the National Weather Service Norman, the people who commented on what they thought an outbreak was. And so the three main categories that I see are frequency, um, spatial as well. And then an another common theme that I'm seeing is they believe outbreak means a lot of storms, but they do not necessarily mean tornadoes. And then when we go into the definition of outbreak, 
then can't neglect the definition or the uh, term super outbreak. So how many super outbreaks do you think we've ever had? Uh, Three or four? I don't know. Okay, what is a super outbreak? I don't know <laughs> if there's an actual definition of super outbreak or not, but I know that we've had, I think, as of now, two super outbreaks. And that might help to define what a super outbreak exactly is. Because in 1974, we had a big super outbreak. And more recently in 2011, okay, we had a super outbreak. So I wonder if a super outbreak can be predicted, or is that only a term that's given to a system after it has gone through? I believe, in my um, understanding, it's given to a system after the fact. Okay. Unless you think it's a good indication or indicator, if you use that term, that a severe weather event will be extremely, extremely bad, extremely dangerous. Because if you say, because I was hearing on the Weather Channel today, somebody asking, okay, do you think tomorrow is going to be a super outbreak? And them saying, no, we don't think it's quite to that level yet. And they started talking about 2011, started talking about 1974, and saying, okay, well, we don't expect that many long track tornadoes, or we don't expect that many tornadoes themselves. So then that could be like a good bearing for whether or not you call it a super outbreak. Hmm. But I think 1974 was very unprecedented in the amount of tornadoes they had and the amount of damage they had. And then 2011 was really close to that, if not exceeded 1974. And so they automatically designated 2011 as a super outbreak because 1974 was on a whole new level. And 2011 pretty much matched that too. When they started coining the term, they called it in 74 a super outbreak. They had no other choice but to call it in 2011 a super outbreak as well. And if anything ever comes close to that level, then I think they designate it as a super outbreak. It's interesting no how people create words and then they oh, yeah. are assigned a meaning and then they may not always mean that to another person. And it's just very fascinating. Hashtag weather linguistics. So the first part that we're going to talk about on the second half is an update on the term outbreak. And the National Weather Service uh, Norman office went back and gave us an update on the frequency of words that people used when they defined the word, the word outbreak. And so they had over 700 responses, which is pretty amazing for a Facebook post, I would say. Um, and so some of the, the top five words that were discovered throughout the uh, Facebook comment section was um, the number one word was tornado or tornadoes. It was 274 people said it. Um, storms was mentioned 192 times. Weather was mentioned 120 times. Uh, severe was mentioned 110 times. And then lot or lots. When people hear the word outbreak, they think tornadoes, I guess is the biggest takeaway from that. So then pretty much those, that list of words you just uh, mentioned is a list of words people used to describe what outbreak meant to them, right? Correct. So in their definition, 274 times people included the word tornado, tornadoes, or tornadic in their own interpretation of what outbreak means. Correct. Okay. So that doesn't necessarily mean 274 people... No. mentioned tornado it just means the word tornado or something a derivative of the word tornado mm -hmm. popped up that many times right and being the most frequent word found in that uh, online facebook uh, post survey uh, you know soliciting answers from other people then it seems like definitely people focus on tornadoes the most let me see what the some of the other less popular words were so hail mm -hmm. hail pops up about 28 times mm -hmm. winds 
or wind pops up about 27 times. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see that those numbers for those specific words aren't really popping up very much because in the public's mind, tornadoes are more important and are more uh, related to an outbreak. Mm -hmm. Hail and wind are not. However, now that we have a chance to look back at our outbreak, right, we see that during the uh, April 26th uh, outbreak, again, quote unquote outbreak, it really wasn't a tornado issue. It was more of a hail and damaging wind issue. And the hail, let me see, how many reports of hail did they have on the 26th of April? I think they had 300 and, no, 275. So they had 275 reports of hail damage, 323 reports of wind damage, and 34 reports of tornado damage. Now, that doesn't mean that there are 34 tornadoes, just 34 different reports of where tornado tornado related damage happened. But 275 reports of hail, that is an extremely high amount of hail uh, damage to be recorded on just one day. So hail was really impactful to people. Even if people weren't really thinking that it would be a hail issue or a wind issue, people were thinking it would be a tornado issue. Which then leads us to the question, was this really a forecast bust, Castle? But from, I guess, going from what I saw with the forecast, the graphics, everything that was going on, all the messages that were going on about this, quote, outbreak was that it was a, quote, tornado outbreak. And I think from that perspective, it's kind of a fail. It was more of a severe weather outbreak. And I don't know if that term severe weather outbreak was used enough in the messages, in the graphics and everything going out. What do you think? Did you see severe weather outbreak more or tornado outbreak more? You know, just even listening to the pre-outbreak recording that we made, I definitely refer to it, I think, as a tornado outbreak, not really a severe weather outbreak. So whatever messages I saw prior to April 26, I interpreted as being mainly a tornado outbreak as well. Um, and definitely the focus was much more on tornado outbreak. And there was a, there was an article in the Washington Post by the Capitol Weather Gang and they were saying that it was a huge communication uh, bus and it was a wake-up call for the enterprise, the weather enterprise, to really understand how to better communicate the severe weather threat without it being solely about tornadoes. Because again, tornadoes are not the... Uh, it, they're a big deal, trust me. They're very dramatic and they make for great video. You can you know see it and it looks really scary. And hail is... It can be dramatic as well. We talked about the hail video from from Texas a few weeks ago with, you know, baseball-sized hail coming through windows and, and, and damaging cars and homes. But hail just does not scare people the way tornadoes do. And perhaps, you know, prioritizing the threat of tornadoes will then, if people are ready for tornadoes, maybe in their mind, they're ready for anything, right? Because tornadoes, in people's mind, is probably the scariest thing you can experience on this earth. I mean, there are other scary things too, but tornadoes are pretty up there. So then if people are prepared for tornadoes, then they'd be prepared for everything else you would think. But in terms of perceiving if it was an outbreak or not, a lot of people are saying, you know, those weathermen, those meteorologists, those, you know, both men and women, I mean, um, they they busted the forecast. They they said there would be tornadoes and we ended up not getting many tornadoes at all. Not thinking in, in their mind that a lot of hail and wind damage from straight line winds or uh, thunderstorms could even equate to being a danger to them at all because everything is a danger to people but how they interpret it could be 
pretty you know important to how they perceive the next event that we're, we're going to have or will have in the future because we definitely will have more severe weather right and i think that like you said the term severe weather doesn't just mean tornado there are three parts to severe weather there's tornadoes there's hail and there's winds so and flooding too by the way right but technically i don't think flooding is a severe weather criteria which i find to be really weird i think officially when when the spc yeah. is looking at severe weather um reports they they categorize it as hail wind tornadoes but flooding i mean flooding does yeah. uh they, it does get recorded but in, in a different sense but flooding flooding is the number one um killer in thunderstorm related hazards not wind not tornado not hail but flooding waters from flash flooding actually right. kills more people in a thunderstorm than any other uh, hazard, which is why I think it's kind of interesting they don't include that. But then a flooding can occur from a non-tornado too, you know? No, and I understand. And I think that um, going back to what you said is this wasn't a forecast bust at all. This was a communication bust, like the web- like the Washington Post said. So I think maybe we should learn from these things and push forward. So another thing that I wanted to talk about, we didn't really touch on that much, is this uh, particularly dangerous situation word or phrasing associated with the tornado watch that was with the April 26th tornado outbreak. So that's the uh, PDS tornado watch, right? Issued by the SPC, the Storm Prediction Center. So for those who don't know, the Storm Prediction Center, they actually release or they, they analyze the situation severe weather-wise, all across the entire country. They're based in Norman, Oklahoma, and they often issue something called a mesoscale discussion, where they talk about a certain area of the country where there are likely uh, storms and severe weather that could develop based on atmospheric conditions and, uh, and all the ingredients setting up. So when they issue a mesoscale discussion, oftentimes they will subsequently issue a tornado watch or a severe thunderstorm watch, depending on what they think could happen. And they're very good at it, too. So very rarely do they actually issue something called a PDS tornado watch, which is a particularly dangerous situation tornado watch issued uh, for what purposes, Kessel? So it's issued, um, I'm also quoting SPC here, um, it's issued when there's high confidence in tornadoes EF2 or stronger with EF4 or EF5 possible or a large area of winds in excess of 75 miles per hour. So, but I... And this just may be me, but I've never heard of this before until this particular incident. Have you heard of it before? Uh, yeah, yeah. They've they they issue they issue PDSs about once or twice a year. I want to say they're not very frequent, but when they issue one, you really have to think. Okay, the SPC they do this and they're very good at it. And when they issue a PDS watch, things are about to happen, and you you really need to be careful because it doesn't happen very often. And I, I think I heard about it for the first time during the uh, 2011 outbreak um, in, the, in the southeast where they had stuff. I'm actually going to look that up real quick because I'm curious. Yeah, something else that was interesting is that the SPC said they, when they issue these things, they said they would like three out of every four to be correct. And so that's a 75% success rate. And so that just in itself tells you they don't issue them very often if... They're thinking four, three out of four. Oh, yeah, for sure. The first PDS tornado watch was issued during the 1982 tornado outbreak that that happened across the Great Plains. So oh, they've wow. issued it, or they have been issuing it for quite a while. 
And then apparently in, in April of 2011, um, in Memphis, Tennessee, their forecast office issued a PDS for a flash flood watch for a significant widespread thunderstorms capable of producing flash flooding. So PDS does not only include tornado uh, watches, it can also include flash flood watches too. There was actually a PDS severe thunderstorm watch issued May 30th of 2011. So these are these are things I'm learning every day now. Apparently, I did not know you could have a PDS for a uh, flash flood watch or a severe thunderstorm watch, but you can. And the severe thunderstorm PDS was for a derecho that, uh, which is pretty much a uh, large mesoscale feature that pushes across a long swath. There's a specific definition of it. We don't have to get into that now. But pretty much uh, very strong damaging winds. And it's like a giant thunderstorm that pushes across the country. That's like a simplistic way. People, meteorologists listen to this are going to hate me for saying it like that. Right. But I, <laughs> the definition is a little technical. So I'd, I'd rather not get it. <laughs> but I, I, you may know this more since, or it may be on that site that you're reading now. Is this something that is buried in like the watch text? Or is this something that broadcasters or other forecasters widely give out like in messages on twitter on social media do they say particularly dangerous situation tornado watch or do they just yeah i think they i think they uh you can see it in the uh, actual product itself i just don't know if this is something that people are aware of definitely not i don't think the average the only way in my mind the public will know that it's a pds tornado watch or a pds watch at all as if broadcasters are communicating it via television or the radio, or they actually look up the information themselves and, and look, oh, the National Weather Service, you know. Or sometimes, like, weather.com will have a copy of what the SPC issues. So then they can see it there themselves and be like, oh, a PDS tornado watch. Um, there's not a specific color for a PDS watch or warning that I know of. And so now that you mentioned it's kind of a rather old product, or it's it's not fairly new, which... I find kind of surprising. It makes me wonder if particularly is a good word to use. Because I just, I don't find that as, that doesn't strike me as like a very clear word when describing a dangerous situation. But again, I don't think that the PDS uh, designation is really intended for anybody except for meteorologists and those communicating the threat. Because if it has PDS attached to the watch, then communicators can really, really make sure that they get the threat out there to people so that they can take the proper action and steps necessary. Gotcha. So they're using it more as a confidence. There's a higher confidence in for this particular tornado watch. So maybe we should overemphasize this tornado watch versus another one because it has that PDS distinction. As a communicator, I, I think that's very true. I think that is what they're going for. So... In looking at the way that we interpreted the uh, outbreak and how we communicated the outbreak way prior to the outbreak even happening, how did that change the way we communicated the early May outbreak? Because from May, uh, but from May seventh to May eleventh, we had a lot of tornadoes, a lot of hail, a lot of wind damage as well. It was an extended uh, period of severe weather, and. Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to it because it was like my finals week at at school. But did you feel like that was communicated very much at all? Because I don't I don't remember seeing too much information about it 
um, in the way that I saw the information leading up to April 26th. Right. And I kind of had the same grasp of it, I think, as you did. I don't think there was as much messaging. There was not as much graphics. Um, I was kind of out of, out of, out of it also. So I was not looking at a lot of news articles or, and things like that. But I also think that maybe all the hype and everything that went into that outbreak, people assumed or felt like it was uh, a quote bust. So maybe they toned it back a little and waited maybe before they saw that there was an impending outbreak or an impending severe weather situation happening before they issued anything. I'm not sure of that either. Yeah. And just to clarify, so we're talking about initially the April 26th tornado um uh, potential tornado outbreak that was supposed to happen ended up being a hail and wind event. And then the uh, second round of severe weather was between May 7th and May 11th. And in during that time period, so May 7th, they, they saw 12 reports of tornado damage, 82 reports of wind damage, and 26 reports of hail. Uh, May 8th and May 9th had more tornadoes, and May 10th also had a lot of tornadoes as well. And then everything seemed to be, for the most part, wrapping up May 11th when there were no tornadoes, but still 188 reports of hail May 11th and 149 reports of hail May 10th and 148 reports of hail May 9th. So there was definitely a lot of severe weather going on, but I don't remember seeing the, uh, not the enthusiasm, but the uh, the hype with that this stretch of severe weather. Except, yeah, we, we saw some crazy tornado footage from Colorado, right. yeah. eastern Colorado, at the beginning, I think May 8th, I believe, May 9th, something like that. And then we had the uh, the deadly tornado in uh, Oklahoma that killed two people, unfortunately. And we've, we've got some incredible footage from storm chasers out there. And that's really what I've, I've really seen from the whole severe weather event. I haven't really seen anything leading up about communication-wise, or, oh, you know, there's going to be a big outbreak. Too much of that, anyway. There was definitely communication of it, and maybe we weren't aware, but I've seen a lot of post-event material, footage, the prom photo, other things, and we'll get to the prom photo later, Um, but a lot of different things after the fact and not really prior to it. And so I can't help but think that the way we communicated April 26th affected the way we communicated the uh, more recent uh, severe weather event, the string of days. Since there were, I, I guess there were more tornadoes and more deaths associated with this more recent round of severe weather. So I don't know if perhaps we let off, let off on some of the messaging and stuff, and that could have changed things. That's We can't look into the past like that, but it's it's interesting to see how the previous severe weather, quote, outbreak, the messaging associated with that, or the over-messaging of that influenced this newer round of severe weather. And also the dynamics of how the atmosphere is set up for the severe weather events are different as well. Uh, So that could definitely have played a role in in how much communication of the event there really was prior to it happening. Mm -hmm. But it's something to definitely take note of and, and, and see how complicated communication of weather information can be and communication in general, too. I think the last thing that I would like to mention is... A quote by Kim Clocko, which just perfectly sums up all this, like this communication failure or bust on this part. So she said, no single one of us communicates alone. We need to be on the same sheet of music. And I just love that quote. We as an enterprise need to be all together on this versus messages flying from here and there and not being consistent. 
Uh, and it, it's better saying it like a sheet of music than saying on the same sheet of paper or same page. Yeah. Because the sheet of music, right. if you don't, if you're not in harmony with each other, it ain't going to sound right. Yeah. It's going to be a hot mess. And at times when we're communicating, it actually is a hot mess. There's so yep. many more things we can talk about. We'll save it for later, but um, just the communication between even different TV stations for the severe weather outbreak has been just oh, giving me a headache and giving you just frustrations left and right. Just seeing the different ways people communicate it. And it almost comes down to, I want to do it my way and I will do it my way. And I don't care about what other people yep. think. Yep. So just imagine how frustrated I sound right now. And I'll save it for later for a different <laughs> podcast. And you can just listen to 45 minutes of me sounding frustrated because there's some real issues with the way we communicate. And we have to be willing to understand each other's perspective and point of view and also compromise a little bit too. And when you have a few people out there who want to do it their way because they're just used to it, um, that can be really dangerous and deadly. And to sum all of that up from Drumline, the quote, one band, one sound, <laughs> comes to mind. Oh my gosh, that's a good one. Drumline. Yeah, because we're all... Our entire band is the Weather Enterprise, and if we're not all on the same page, then we're just going to sound out of tune, out of whack, and we need to get it together. And on another quote to sum up the sum up, what team? Wildcats. Get your head in the game. <laughs> oh, wow. It's not as far as the throwback as Drumline. Drumline, drumline a little bit <laughs> further of a throwback, but that... Speaking of which, that <laughs> it is it is Thursday throwback. It is Thursday. CBT. You'll not you probably won't hear this on a Thursday, but just remember we're recording on a Thursday. But Drumline was one of the three movies that my band teacher in middle school would, would let us watch. It was always Drumline, oh, really, Sister Act two, or the old Annie. <laughs> <laughs> we always watch the Sound of Music. Oh, really? Over and over and over. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a classic too, man. But. It is. It's pretty Annie, good. Mr. Warbucks, is that what his name was? Mr. Yeah, Warbucks. So. Hello, Annie, with really weird-looking hair. I am bald. <laughs> and then the lady, the evil lady, Miss Miss what? Miss Finnegan. Hey, Miss Finnegan. Is that it? Yeah, I want to say Miss Havisham, is that but it? it's definitely from Great Expectations. So different, different lady, <laughs> but also a classic. <laughs> So what's actually going on with you besides eating your yogurt? <laughs> hey, it's Activia. It has a name, okay? It has a name. Um, okay, we're not sponsored by them, so... Well, we've been yogurt. dropping hints for sponsorship <laughs> like almost every episode because we're just... We need money. No, I'm kidding. But no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> way to make an awkward, man. Yes, I am. Continuing to make it awkward. Anyway... No, I've I've had a pretty pretty busy day today. I was on the phone with a friend from the National Weather Service, and we're trying to. So okay, the National Weather Association—they're a big association in the weather community. They have a, a meeting where a lot of broadcast meteorologists and researchers come together uh, to talk about different ideas and just collaborate. And you know, it's just a great way to bring people together in our community in our enterprise. We have a meeting in September in Norfolk, Virginia. And a part of my inf my uh, research interests are about weather and communication and more effectively communicating 
both severe weather information and just everyday weather situations to the general public and try to see what we can do better. And there's always ways to improve. And the growth and explosion in social media uh, in the past few years has definitely led to a desire to better understand how to use social media to disseminate uh, crucial weather information. And Facebook and Twitter are big players in the social media game. And so I felt that it could be really important to have a discussion with those folks and see what what ways we can cooperate and collaborate with one another to uh, to be in the best interest of everybody. So we had a discussion of trying to maybe get Facebook and Twitter representatives to the uh, NWA conference in September and immerse them in what we do. And maybe they can have sympathy for all the uh, complexities we have in trying to communicate weather information. And maybe they'll, they'll, they'll work with us too. I think they have worked with us in the past in uh, some regard. But I think hopefully getting them out to Virginia next September would be a great way to, to really let them uh, show them what we do and maybe get some kind of partnership going. So does the National Weather Service know people in at Facebook and Twitter? Because I know that at the previous AMS conference, there were a lot of people from Google, but we haven't seen Facebook or Twitter people there before, I don't think. They do know people. There are higher-ups in the uh, National Weather Service who, who, know people, oh, okay. who know people. And in doing that, they establish a uh, relationship a connection between those people and then from there if we have any uh, concerns or thoughts and then we're we're free to talk about it with them and bounce ideas off of them and see what they say you know it's pretty much a liaison between uh the social media moguls and the uh, national weather service but um i'm optimistic something can happen but realistically it's pretty difficult because we're dealing with a non-profit organization and a for-profit corporation which is great but again they they need money to do that kind of stuff and there's there's a lot of different government organizations going to them and asking them for special perks and privileges and they can't satisfy every single government entity who wants something special right so then what makes nws so different and so that's something that we're gonna have to uh try to push and essentially quote unquote lobby but um we'll see i'm I'm very optimistic it'll work out it just takes a uh, discussion and sit down and uh communication to get effective communication going uh so castle you mentioned recently that you were driving somewhere and you were listening to another podcast excuse you this is the only podcast you should be listening <laughs> to just kidding we support all podcasts um but you're listening to a podcast and you had some information about uh, weather uh, phenom- uh, weather situation, I guess, that happened uh, a few few years ago, huh? Yeah, so I listen to This American Life often because I just, I really enjoy storytelling, especially when um, I'm driving in the car, and that's kind of what spawned my interest in creating a podcast. And so the theme of the previous week was proms because it's prom season. I wasn't really too excited about listening to proms for an hour. Um, <laughs> but the first act that came on was about... Uh, tornadoes and more specifically how an entire high school went to their prom and didn't realize a tornado had went through their town during the prom and so it was just an interesting kind of look at how weather communication has evolved over the past years because this tornado took place in 2001 and so it was interesting to see how the tornado hit their town four blocks away from 
the gym or wherever they were having the prom and no one even knew about it. And so it was just crazy to think that an entire tornado could go through and destroy houses in a city and people are simply dancing away. And so it was just mind blowing. Two, two questions and follow ups to that. A, yeah. if that tornado would have hit that school oh my gosh how awful right. that have been yeah and b been did they did they take any sheltering actions or anything like mm-hmm. that uh what, what did they do did they even know that when did they find out the tornadoes were, were going through the town so the principal started to see the doors open by themselves and so he went over there and noticed that the wind was really picking up and so he stuck his head out and there was an ambulance driving down the road that said take shelter immediately, take all the necessary precautions. That's all they said. And so the principal got all the students to the basement, but I'm pretty sure by that time the tornado had already gone through. They were just double checking to make sure no other storms were be coming in behind it because the reason the ambulance was out there was because there was already damage and people were already hurt. Yeah, it was just insane. And it was an interesting look at the psychology of disasters as well, because we don't always talk about what happens after the fact. We do everything that leads up to a weather event, and then we kind of just move on to the next one. And we don't all the time dive into how someone's affected or how they rationalize a tornado hitting their house. Um, So it was interesting to hear some of the kids listen to some of their thoughts about how the tornado chose people to impact how if they might have lived on the other side of town, it still would have hit them and not other people because the tornado would have followed them because they were, quote, bad luck. And they had been since the fourth grade. And so it was just kind of mind-boggling. Yeah, how it's just something we don't always talk about, I guess, is how people rationalize a tornado hitting or any kind of natural disaster hitting them. They look, they grasp for things to rationalize why this happened to me. And so it was just, it was very informative. It's interesting to me that their rationale behind getting hit or not getting hit was luck or being unlucky. But right. I now looking, you know, introspectively in my family, we think of the same thing too. Like, oh, it was, it was your, your luck or your unluckiness that caused something to happen. And when I hear those sound bites on TV, when they interview somebody after a, a tornado goes through or whatever, they're always often like, oh, you know, this is this my, uh, my time for something to happen to me. Or it was luck. It was never something like, oh, I don't know. Like, how could you even justify a tornado hitting you and saying like anything else besides it just happened to be me? Because isn't that how it works? Right. Like, yeah. And so I, I, I don't know how I would look at it if I didn't have this meteorology hat. Um, but I, I don't know if I would attribute it to bad luck cause I'm not a very superstitious person. I would just be more like, this is how it happened. It just happened to hit here. I wouldn't think for any reason that because I moved across town, all these people got impacted. Um, and some of you, some of the kids even said it was their fault because they had said the night before that nothing exciting ever happens in our town. I wish a tornado would come through and then the day after a tornado hit. And so a lot of the kids were blaming themselves for wishing it would happen. And so it was just a lot of interesting discussion. Wait, so they they said the night before they wished a tornado came through, which means that they then knew about a severe weather situation overall? No, I don't. They didn't. Well, that's something that we should probably look more into. But in the interview, they didn't like they didn't go into that at all. They just said... The night before we were driving in our 
in a convertible or something and we were just like you know what this town is so boring nothing ever happens here i wish a tornado would happen so at least something crazy would happen and okay then the day after the tornado hit okay because i was thinking well see now i can i am a very superstitious person so now i can definitely see them thinking that then the day before and then it actually happening yeah i you can't help but maybe potentially blame yourself for that and be like yep that was my fault for uh jinxing it um, but I was just curious to see if, if there was actually an, a knowledge of potential severe weather happening and then why they had prom, um, in the first place without having someone monitor the weather. But I don't believe that that probably wasn't what was happening, but I was just curious. Yeah. They didn't seem to be too weather aware, or weather savvy at all. So I, it, it's highly doubtful that they had known there was the potential for severe weather. Um, but that's just, like I said, my understanding based on the interview process. Well, speaking of tornadoes and prom, uh, we talked about the photo <laughs> that surfaced uh, yeah. last week, right, Castle? Yeah, last week there was this prom photo, and it I feel like it got a lot more um, media, or it became more viral than anyone ever expected it to, especially the two people in the photo. Um, but there was some discussion in our uh, was a student's forum about whether this was how people actually perceive natural hazards. Is this kind of something they should be photographed in or something that they're in awe of. And so it spawned up some interesting conversations. I, I was curious, like, what how you felt. Um, do you think this is how people perceive tornadoes as something more beautiful that they should take a picture with versus take shelter for? I mean, in the world that we live in today, we have storm chasers getting fantastic footage of tornadoes and, and Mother Nature and, and all she creates. But I think a tornado is beautiful. I also think it's violent. And I think depending on the circumstances, those opinions can change. So then if you're looking at a uh, tornado in that photo, the tornado is actually quite far away. And the argument that I think was brought up on the uh, forum was maybe the tornado was moving in the opposite direction. It was super far away. There was no real danger to the couple or the photographer, probably someone's mom, taking the photo. So then what... What would be the concern or what's the outrage in having that photo taken at all? And I don't think most people reacted in that way, though. I think most people's reaction probably when sharing that viral photo was, wow, what an awesome photo. I wish I could do the same thing. I feel like we should just make a segment of this podcast called Castle Does Something New because... Last week it was the salad, and this week it's uh, riding a jet ski. So. Hey man, it's I've never <laughs> ridden a jet ski before. It's a little less common than eating a salad. Okay, good. I feel like so that's you don't good. have to feel bad about this one. You do have to feel bad about eating a salad for the first time. That's still I I just can't. But anyway, but I do have an I do have an update. I've eaten another salad since. Then. Ooh, what kind of salad so, you have? It was at Olive Garden. So I had it was like an Italian. It was like a yeah once again i'm not very good at this it was a regular salad with italian dressing oh okay so did you have the soup salad yeah. and breadsticks thing or no no i had pasta and it comes with breadsticks and salad okay so, so not unlimited soup salad breadsticks no, no, ah, no that's the best that is the best anyway uh you rode a yeah. jet ski for the first time how was that yeah it was very interesting so shout out to my friend stephanie she uh she's the one i went hiking with and she also has a lake house so she's on lake oh, Bonier, which is in though. georgia yeah and so she has a jet ski 
And she was like, let's go to dinner. We'll get there via jet ski. It's like the via seafood Via jet place. ski. Get out of here. Y'all too fancy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but she was like, I really want to take you on the jet ski because it's so much fun. And I was like, okay, I don't feel very good about this, but let's do it. It's an adventure. And so we don um, life vests. And <laughs> we don, we what is this, Christmas? <laughs> don, you know, get up there, bro. <laughs> And then, so then we headed onto the lake and we started off fine. She was like, I have to go slow because I can't have like wakes in this area because of the docks. And I was like, okay, I like this. It's like five miles per hour. <laughs> I was like, I can, I can handle this. But then as soon as we got out of the dock, she like took off and we got up to like 55 miles an hour. Holy crap. And it was, yeah, it was, it was very intense. I was... I held on so hard, my arms were sore the next day because I was holding on to the jet ski really so much. You really I'm sure. Yeah, I was. And so there are two, like, back uh, handles that you can hold on to, but there's also a strap across the middle. And she was like, I usually hold on to the straps. So I was like, okay. So I was basically riding it like a bull. <laughs> so I had one hand under the strap and the other hand on the side. Well, thing. maybe now I can and, see why it was kind of nerve-wracking for you. Right. And so we went to the first restaurant, but it was closed. So she was like, I know this other place. Let's just go to that. And so we head out there, but there's like a sailboat competition or something going on. So there's sailboats everywhere. So they're crazy waves. And so we're going like 55 miles per hour. We start hitting these waves and it's just like a solid bounce, bounce, yeah, bounce, yeah. bounce, bounce. And so I'm just sitting there riding this like a bull, like flying up in the air and water is spraying all over me. She promised me I wouldn't get wet, by the way. But Did you have anything valuable with just, you? No. Good. I left my phone at her house to charge. Oh, okay. But I had changed because we went hiking, so I changed into my good clothes to go to dinner. And so I was just completely There's no soaked. footage of any of this right now? No, there's, there's not. no evidence of it? I don't. I think you're making all there's this no up. There's no evidence. I don't. I don't no. Ugh, come on, man. It, it, it it was it was a trip, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and so after we we couldn't find the second restaurant, so we just headed back to her house. On the way back, there was this beeping noise, and I was like, "Hey, what's that?" Or I had to like scream, and she's like, "Oh, it's nothing. It happens all the time." And so we're almost back to her house, and it beeps again. And I look over her shoulder, and it says "low fuel." And I was like, oh, my God. So you guys could have been stranded on Lake Lanier without yes, cell phones. Without phones. You all had a life yeah. jacket on, correct? Yeah. Good. All right. Don't ever go anywhere without a life jacket. Hashtag dad advice. So I guess we could have swam back if it came to that. But yeah. we made it back to her dock safe. And then we went to Olive Garden, which is where I had the salad. Man, what an eventful day for you. Yeah, it was. I, so I can check off jet ski as another vehicle that I've been in and never get on it again. <laughs> <laughs> this will look fun though. I'd like to be on a jet ski. Maybe if you could control how fast you're going and actually be the the operator yeah. of the jet ski, I think you would maybe right. enjoy it more. And she asked me if I wanted to drive, but I was just like, no, let's 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 have this over with. Speaking of us not having our phones on the jet ski, you were telling me that you are still having <laughs> these phone issues. What is going oh on? Oh my gosh. Okay. So to give everybody a quick background. I had a phone, my first smartphone, in May of 2015, had it until about January of 2016 this year, and my phone, the speaker died, so I couldn't make any calls on it, and I had a warranty on it, so I got a new phone, and ever since I got the replacement phone, 
I've had text messaging issues like no other. My text messages will repeat. When people send me stuff, it will repeat on my phone and come in out of order. If you send me a paragraph, I will probably get it in five or six different parts. And they're out of order, out of sync, um, repeating. It, it's so frustrating. And if I send a message out to other people, then sometimes my messages will repeat to them as well, which I find really annoying to you guys and I feel bad. One of the weirdest problems I've had was I'll get a piece of a paragraph that will send to my phone every half hour for like five or six hours. So at one point, a friend texted me. I got her message at like 2.30 in the morning, then 3 o'clock in the morning, then 3.30, 4, 4.30, the exact piece of the same message over and over and over. I restarted my phone. That didn't work. It pretty much stopped doing that whenever it felt like it. And it's happened like three times now, which is super frustrating. Um, after I got my replacement phone, I was on AT&T tech support. They gave me a third phone replacement phone um, or second replacement phone. After all that happened, the problem still existed. We've exhausted almost every single thing we can do. I've, I've been on tech support on the phone um, with them for, you know, since January, pretty much. And they and I've been to the store in Greenville, North Carolina, where I was staying. I was at the store probably 10 times, and they knew me by name. They knew who I was. And they tried to fix the problem, too. They, they couldn't figure it out either. So they gave me a third replacement phone, which ended up being a different LG product. Initially, I had an LG G3 Vigor, which is an awful phone. Don't ever get it. Um, then they switched me over to, right now, what I have is an LG G Flex 2 which is a much better phone. However, I'm still having text messaging issues. I started getting them really badly last night and today. And I've been getting, I've had this phone for about a month now. And I've been having issues with it consistently every day. But now I'm, I'm having it really bad within the past couple of days. So I called them back today. They still don't know what's going on. And they said, well, we'll send you a fourth replacement phone. So my uh, G Flex 2 is like a curved phone. It's like all curvy yeah, and pretty cool. like a banana, uh, but not quite <laughs> as curvy and whatnot. Um, also, that's not an innuendo, so don't think it is. <laughs> um, everyone's really fascinated when they see it. Well, now I will be trading yeah. or uh, returning my G Flex 2 to get a Samsung Galaxy A6, which is a much better phone from what I've read Yay. and a yeah. different, it's not an LG product. It's not LG anymore. So hopefully that'll solve the problem. I just don't know. We've been through so many replacement phones, so much, many, many hours of being on the phone. And um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know what else it can do. They, they said maybe this will work. Maybe it won't. I'd like to think it would work, but I don't see how switching a phone could work. But I'm cautiously optimistic. And either way, maybe I'll just get a good phone out of it, you know? But I've been dealing with a lot. And AT&T, they have been very nice with helping me customer service-wise. It's just it's very frustrating because no one knows what to do, you know. I'm excited for it. I think it'll be nice. So I should get it by the weekend or next week, early next week, before I head out to Colorado. So Yeah, I was going to say that's soon. Yeah, right? I um I cleared my background check. So I will be starting oh, at yeah. FEMA uh, May 31st Woo-hoo! and reporting for duty then and i'll be in lakewood near denver colorado for the whole summer and i'm very very excited about that so i will definitely be keeping you guys posted about my uh colorado adventures trying to hit a few national parks out there too 
So I guess we should move on to our song of the week since we're nearing the end of episode four. Yeah, I think we we shall. We shall do that. So my song of the week is Calvin Harris featuring Rihanna. This is what you came for, which I like a lot. It's a very typical Calvin Harris type of song. If you guys don't know anything about it, then uh, Calvin Harris pretty much is... Um, hold on. Oh my god, no, you cannot. <laughs> Five minutes, I'll be done. I'm <laughs> what did so, she say? She, <laughs> she said, can I juice the oranges for orange juice? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so the way this is working, I'm, I'm watching the door. The handle turns slowly. I'm literally holding it, pushing it closed, hoping that would be enough for her to get the message. And she kept on pushing, and I had my three fingers on the door holding it, so she wouldn't open the door. And finally, I was like, wait, I can't. So oh I opened gosh. it. She's like, can I juice the oranges with the juicing machine? I was like, no. <laughs> and she walked away. I said, okay. I was like, five minutes. Five minutes, I promise. <sighs> anyway, but Calvin Harris featuring Rihanna, this is what you came for. Which is a great, uh, very typical Calvin Harris in the uh, rhythm and the beats that he has. I don't know what they're called. I'm not a super savvy techno, EDM, whatever, <laughs> whatever DJ type of person. But DJ. I like the way it sounds. It's really cool. And you can dance to it and sing to it, which are, again, some of the criteria I have for liking a song. I wish I could play it for you, but um, <laughs> I can't for copyright reasons but it's I like wish I could. lightning strikes every time she moves because <laughs> she's looking at you so i'm sure you've gotten a really good idea of what song i'm talking about and it's probably on the radio where you are so turn on your top 40 radio or go to youtube and listen to it and then legally download it from itunes because <laughs> Shout out to iTunes. We are officially now on it, and it feels great. Woo-woo. But anyway, so Castle, what's your song of the week? So my song of the week is also featuring Rihanna. And when you said Rihanna, I was like, is it Rihanna or Rihanna? It's Rihanna. Cause she's and yeah, cause she says this is your girl Rihanna. And it's like your the, girl Rihanna. You're listening to yeah, blah blah blah. This number yeah. one hit station. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I've always heard Rihanna though, but I guess that's it is how Rihanna. white people say it. Um, well, it's good to know that it's Rihanna now and not Rihanna. So the song that I'm doing is off her new album and it's called Kiss It Better. And it recently came on the radio station or the radio. And as soon as I heard it, I immediately knew that it was going to be my song of the week. Just because, yeah, the guitar part is so, it was, it's just nothing like something she does. (laughs) Kiss it, kiss it better, baby. Anyway, anyway, Ooh, again, <laughs> we are not singers, so we're not al- and we're, we're not allowed to play it. Yeah. But it's it's very catchy, and I think she transcends this catchy pop culture song because not only is the hook catchy, but also the verses before the hook are even catchy themselves because they tend to repeat. So it's really easy for you to pick up on singing the song, and so that, in addition to the awesome guitar riff. Um, just make it super a really good song to sing to you know i feel like a lot of songs nowadays especially the popular ones they are very repetitive in what they say and there aren't very many lyrics to them and they definitely repeat 
over and over and over again throughout the song the same four or five words. So I don't know if that is telling of where our music industry is going, if that means that they're less creative or not. I mean, again, if I can dance and sing to it, I'm cool. But I often wonder if there's any challenge in putting a song together. It seems like a factory just waiting to put together a, a hook and put together some words and then put together some famous artists and a DJ and voila, <laughs> you have your next top 40 hit. Yeah. Um, something that I think about, and it kind of ties back into our whole weather messaging um, idea is this is where our culture is right now. We have to take in things super quick in order for us to register them for that specific moment. So I think by these top 40 songs being very repetitive, they catch our attention really quick. And so we just grasp onto them for the moment. And I think that's enough for right now. But like you said, I don't know how well we will remember them in the future. Interesting. How songs and mainstream music affects potential decision making in terms of weather and communication. That's a little bit of a Ooh. stretch. <laughs> yeah. But hey, you never know. I'd like to see a study on that one day. So that was kind of a long podcast, but I think it's probably time to wrap it up. You can find us <laughs> in a lot of places. You can go to facebook.com slash weatherhype, and you can also go to weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, or you can send us an email at uh, weatherhype at gmail.com. Um, also, we would strongly encourage you to leave us a review, leave us some feedback on iTunes or Google Play just so that we could figure out if you're liking it, things that we could tweak or alter, or maybe you have suggestions for future episodes. So let exactly. us know. Sounds good. And you can really, you really can find us everywhere now. Oh, at least if you have the internet. If you don't have the internet, well, everywhere. Then we'll, we'll work something out. Then you should at least have data. You could use your data. <laughs> That's stuff expensive, man. <laughs> not everyone has unlimited data, okay? We're not all fortunate. Well, they can go to Starbucks True. and have You're right. Wi-Fi. Go to Starbucks, go to McDonald's, where they have their free Wi-Fi. That's what you got to do. Because if you move to a new location and don't have internet, then Starbucks might just be the option. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. Anyway. All right. Well, until next time, stay hyped. Stay hyped. Stay hyped. Stay hyped.